You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Just as proud of you guys as I ever would have been if we even won that game. You guys don't know what. I don't even think you guys realize what we all went through to have the season that we had. And, uh, and to do the things that we did in this room. I think it was pretty, pretty incredible. It was pretty incredible. Through all the injuries, through all the offstage stuff, uh, you, guys, you guys were pretty amazing. You are pretty amazing. And we fell short a little bit, and that's okay. That's okay, it sucks, but it's okay. I'm just mad that we don't have any more practices this year and, and any more games. That's, that's what I'm mad about, more than anything. Um, you guys played your asses off all season. You probably had the longest period of time without any bye weeks and just kept fighting. Just kept fighting. Everybody in this room just kept fighting. Coaches, players, staff, everybody. And I'm really, really proud of you guys. Player two here, there, we lost. That's okay. That's okay. Amazing, amazing season. You guys should be really, really proud of yourselves. And I'm just honored to be your coach. I am. So we'll meet at 9. We'll meet at 9 tomorrow, and I thank you guys. You are awesome. And on that somber note, uh, we do welcome you to the Alouettes Flight Deck. It's a podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouettes football. I'm Tim Capper, along with Cliffy D. Hey, sir, how are you doing? Hey. Uh, I'm doing. I mean, listen, the, the sun the sun will rise again, and in, in many ways it probably already has. So, <laughs> Well, it, the game was Sunday, so yes, so far so good, and it snowed too in the process. <laughs> yeah, lucky, lucky us. We get, we get cracking on a winter right away. Yeah, well, it could have, could have been worse. It could have been minus 12 like it was during the, uh, the uh, Western semifinal. This is true. And they've already had snow for quite some time, yes, so I, I'm sure all the you know the folks in Calgary and Winnipeg are like, "Oh, quit, quit your belly aching." <laughs> yeah, shut your yapper, capper. Um, yeah. So, we, un, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, the Alouettes did come up short, Cliff. Um, but we want to, uh, you know, we'll talk about the game. There are a lot of other things leading into this into our off season and stuff like that, including uh, we're able to get uh, TSN's John Liu with us. Uh, he'll be joining us shortly. Um, but first, to me, um, before we get into the game itself, Cliff, I, I, uh, I, I want to give, you know, it was talked about before, well, during the conversation last week with Patrick Boivin, and it kind of, kind of broke during the conversation, and we only mentioned it with him Um I think did we mention it on the pod about them removing the tarps? I can't remember uh, if they they yep. did. okay yeah. But I want to give props, man. Twenty one thousand fifty four people showed up, and not just fans from the city. John Lou mentioned it in our conversation. Uh, we've heard this from people who are watching the game on TV, who, who took part in, in broadcasting the game. This crowd was amazing 
absolutely amazing. Oh yeah. A start to finish too. I mean, it just even before kickoff. I mean, you could you could feel the energy, and you 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 heard it. You heard it ring right through your TV, and it was such a good feeling, Tim. Just such a good feeling to be a part of something like that. Yes, again, and again. Yeah, that's it. It's been so long since we had an atmosphere like that at Personal Molson Stadium, and God damn it, it makes it so much fun. And I. Uh, it, it's it's really unfortunate that things ended the way they did, uh, losing to the Edmonton Eskimos. But man, I tell you what, like this, the the crowd definitely deserves props for for just bringing it. That's what and that's yeah. and that's what we wanted. Yeah. That we we talked about this leading up to this game was we wanted the fans to come out, support this Alouettes team, make the noise, you know, be a part of it, be part of something special, and they were. And win or lose, I was going to be happy just knowing that. Just to know that Alouette's football is relevant again, that this team is on the right track, that the the dog days are over. I mean, that's that's just you can't beat that feeling, Tim. No, no, you can't. I mean, and you can still go look back even two years, you know, as early as two years ago, where we had had we reached the twenty thousand uh, fan mark, but it wasn't the same. It really wasn't the same. I mean, the team was mired in that long ass losing streak. Um, you know. Very little for this 22, you know, back then it was 22,000 for one game and 20,000 for another for the home finale. It, it just wasn't the same. This this was, this was, I know people are saying, oh, we, we're going to play the game with the big O. No, no, I'm glad they didn't play this game with the big O because A, we didn't sell out. Well, okay, technically, yes, it was a sellout. It was above capacity for what the, the stadium it was officially holding this year. Yeah, you couldn't have this game at the Big O. You really could not, because I don't think that fifty thousand people would have showed up. I really. The only way is if you were if you were charged like five dollars a ticket, and even then, I'd still be yeah, skeptical. Yeah. This this was the best of both worlds. You know, it was the playoffs. It it, 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 it it's what you know. It, it's it's the bringing back to the atmosphere when you know, even though it was fifteen thousand or sixteen thousand for that very first game at Percival Molson once they came back in ninety seven. You know, because of you two, the. We these days haven't been here since since you know since AC and Ben Cahoon and you know since since uh, you know the Owls were a dominant factor in the Eastern uh, Eastern Division. Uh, the beasts of the East. It was just so much fun. It was loud. It's the way it should have been. It's just that, yeah, I, I, it really wasn't anything that could could sour it. Obviously, except for the loss. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry. And that horrible music. What the hell? <laughs> Are you talking about halftime? I'm just talking overall. The first half I was like, what the hell are most of these songs playing? Now, my my thought was that maybe they were had something to do with because obviously the CFL controlled most of this. You could, you could tell by by who the sponsors were, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That maybe this was the music that of people that they have come to ask to play at Grey Cup because I was like. This is not, you know, this is not some of the normal music that we usually hear. So, mm-hmm. you know, finally we get to the second, you know, into the second half, and um, you know, we got the John Denver song where we, they they always played at the wrong time. They always do, and that's it pissed me off because everybody gets into it, I and know. I love that they get into it. Never into my wildest dreams that I ever think I would be. Uh, I don't want to say emotional, but necessarily uh, like, like nostalgic for 
a John Denver song. <laughs> but to me, it's not an Alouettes game until they play effing Country Roads, man. Like, I that's, know, man. That's, I, that's the new tradition. That's the new tradition that I love that they're doing at, at home games. And I hope they continue to do it. My only thing that soured me, besides the, what I felt was the playlist, was, was, how, was how the Alouettes, I felt, kind of overlooked football history. Alouette's football history in playing Sunday, bloody Sunday after the game. Yeah. You play, it's a Sunday game. It's a Sunday staple. I'll give them a one-off. Okay. It's, we didn't have a Sunday game all year Mm -hmm. at home. Right. But you play it before the kickoff. Yeah. That's the way that it's been done since you two. You know, but basically yeah. built that that you know Percival Molson is the house that you two built. Absolutely, like they 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 flex their muscle and pretty much force the Alouettes to play a playoff game at Percival Molson Stadium yeah. and change the course of history for this franchise. Uh, you're absolutely right, and it's uh, yeah, you kind of want to give them much like this uh, egregious oversight of not having a Thanksgiving Day game. Yeah, you kind of want to paint it as like a okay. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe you weren't used to it or whatever. This is your one get out of jail free card. Yes. Next year. If God forbid to the outlets. If there if, are if, any Sunday games. If there, are, if there are Sunday games, especially if it's a playoff game, then yes, I, without question, you have to play Sunday Bloody Sunday yes. before kickoff. Not oh. when everybody's filing out of the stadium. Oh, I hated out. it. I hated it. I mean, I understand the Alouettes have their own kickoff music that I get, which I love. I love what they've done this year. Yeah, you know, it's bad. and uh, you know, Jim Wazzo. I love that too. I love that Absolutely. song too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, uh, oh yeah. By the way, other than the the fight song, which isn't even our fight song after the touchdowns, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stick with tradition again. Bring back Thanksgiving Day Monday Thursday. Uh, th- that's good, Capper. Bring back Thanksgiving <laughs> Monday games. Bring that back. Bring back our tradition. And if we do happen to have any Sunday games, play a Sunday, Sunday, bloody Sunday, when it should be played. Yeah. It's just the little things. But you know what? They make the difference. Keep John Denver. I can't believe this. Keep John Denver. Keep John Denver, man. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, overall, the atmosphere was fantastic. Um, The guys played their hearts out. And we saw an emotion. Emotion was the theme. Emotion mm-hmm. was the theme. And as you heard at the beginning of the show, you know, Kahari's heartfelt speech at the end of the, at the end, uh, you know, in the locker room after the loss. Um, mm-hmm. You could see it at, at, with the players on TV after, the, after that. You, you saw which will, we will play sometime in the show. We'll play the, the little uh, meetup between Christian Matt and Vernon Adams. Yeah. This, so much heartfelt energy and, and, and you know, even if the Alouettes only improve by one game next year, it's a start of something. And Christian Matt, I think you should put what he put on shirts, man. Uh-huh. So, you know, even me, even me, you know, you and I were supposed to do some stuff afterwards and I'm like, nope. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was tough. It was tough. Uh, and again, you can't really be mad. I mean, like, you know, it's just certain things happen and you can you, obviously you go back and you take a look at the game again and you say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. But you know what? There really wasn't Things much, happen. There really wasn't much we couldn't say that we couldn't. You shouldn't have done that. You should have done that type of thing except for, you know, Vernon's ill-timed pass in the fourth quarter on the drive, which which looked like like the Alouettes have done all year. One of those game-winning drives. Yeah. And Vernon himself definitely put the Alouettes in position to come back and and make noise. Like that's yeah. that's what he does. Uh, the touchdown he scored. I mean, let, oh, you man. felt that. 
Yeah, you he, talk about emotion. Like that that was him saying, guys, I've got this. And he did it. Like that was just a beautiful run, like as he's been doing. Like it wasn't one of those little goal line plunges. No, like, it he, wasn't. No, no. He tucked it in and he went to the house. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, it's, you know, you look at it. I mean, Vernon didn't have it all good of a game. I mean, you know, only 226 yards. He had no touchdowns, which to, to us right now, that's not that's not Vernon Adams. We've had games before where he scored touchdowns and he's, you know, his, his passing yard, passing, uh, you know, his game has been mediocre, but mm-hmm. he's done it with his feet. He did do it with his feet. But unfortunately, you know, really, the 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 Alouettes were upstaged by Trevor Harris. Yeah. And I don't know if it's not that they were they weren't ready for them. And they talked about this huge thing where it, it was said in the in the media about how the defense was disrespecting how the offense was disrespecting their defense. I don't remember hearing that, but I know it made a huge difference at the beginning of the game too, where they where they uh, uh, they basically met at center field and uh, you know something something a little something something happened. Yeah, a little little jaw jacking. Yeah. So, but uh, but Trevor Harris, man, I mean, a game a game for the ages. I mean, 23, 23 straight, twenty two straight, leading into the third quarter. The Owls were in it too. That's the funny thing, you know. Mm-hmm. They, you know, um, Mario Alford, man, man, <laughs> I can, I can, Super Mario, I can, I can watch. Yes, and that that's, I, you know what, I hope he stays on the team because. I, it didn't catch on to me as soon as he did that, and they started playing the Super Mario theme. I was like, I was like, oh <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you want to talk about how loud that crowd got? Like the the peak was during that return. Once they saw Alfred break out oh, and just yeah. he he caught the seam and just he was gone. He was gone, and everybody just exploded like with excitement. And then once he crossed into the end zone, boom! Like literally, it was like a bomb going off. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and like like you could, and the best part though is like, and I'm watching on a replay, like you can faintly hear, like if you were there live, you heard the Super Mario Brothers theme being played loud and clear. Yeah, but on TV, you could barely hear it because the crowd was just oh, so yeah, loud. Yeah. I'm curious to know what the decibel levels were like. Oh gosh, I, I mean, like we're we're not going to approach anything like Arrowhead Stadium or CenturyLink Field uh, in the NFL, but no. I mean, for that for that kind of a crowd in that stadium, holy crap! I mean, that is deafening yeah and it was like that i'd say 95 percent of the game was like that yeah. and everybody took notice too everybody that wasn't there i was seeing the comments on social media and everything mm-hmm. people were blown away like they're like they're like it's loud it's electric you can tell that people that are there and they're loving every second of it and it's true i mean everybody that again what provided the alouettes were still competitive and still scoring points everybody was in this like everybody was invested in this game yeah uh, Alouettes do lose 37-29. They are uh, their season, their 2019 season has come to an end. Um, you know, this is the Edmonton Eskimos team, which, if I'm not mistaken, after beating the Owls, they're actually four and one in the crossover. Four and one. So, <laughs> you know, their only loss, you know, I think was in was in an Eastern final uh, versus us. If I'm not if I remember correctly, versus us. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, as I said, I mean, Trevor Harris. I, I screamed out of the top of my lungs you know, during the game. I was like, I was, I was like, damn, switch to man to man. Yeah. You, I mean, they were just getting their zone conference. Their zone defense was just getting picked apart. Yeah. It was death by a thousand cuts. And again, a 92.3 passing rating yeah. for Trevor Harris, yeah. 36 to 39. I mean, the, what the hell? You only missed three passes. That's funny. Only one passing touchdown. That's crazy. Yeah. 
but again, he didn't. That's the thing. He just it was surgical the way he just picked apart the the Alouettes uh, defense. It was and they just didn't make adjustments. That's the thing. I just didn't feel like the Alouettes really made. Yes, they made a couple of plays. Yes, they did act, end up picking him off. Yeah, but but they did nothing the, with it. Though. That's the problem. They did nothing with it. Uh, that also too was concerning. That you know, if you're gonna again, just as how well he's been playing, if you're gonna get a pick off this guy, you got to do something. You got to put some points on the yeah. board. Yeah, and said uh, nothing. That's the uh, that's the unfortunate part. But you're right. Like, like that was one thing I, I always expect this Alouettes team to make the adjustments in the second half, and I just didn't feel like the defense did. Like they were just gassed. Like uh, yes, they were on the field for quite a, quite a long time, but my God, like they just like nothing was working. Like just literally nothing was working. Yeah. And even afterwards, like Edmonton, like Harrison and his coaching staff, they basically said like this was exactly the Alouettes team that we scouted. We we saw this coming, and they made zero adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, again, like uh, as impressive as it has been for Bob Slowick this year as defensive coordinator. Uh, I mean, he's got to he's got to own some of this as far as oh, just not sure. being able to adjust. Like and this is a good defense. This is a very, very good defense here in Montreal. And they just looked average at best. Not not even not even. They're just getting picked I, up again. You, you give. 22 straight passes. It was so frustrating. You heard the crowd finally when he had an incompletion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's about time. Um, yeah. Uh, Vernon Adams, he had a rushing touchdown. He led the team with the yards at 57. At least, he, I mean, he had six carries. It was nice to see him actually after the last two games basically doing nothing. And as vanilla as it could have been, him actually getting some rushes. William Stanbeck, uh, nine for only nine for thirty-eight yards, but he did have two TDs. They, uh, you know, Edmonton scattered where they needed to. Uh, it's you know, even even Jeremiah Johnson didn't do so well. But I think I think the other problem too is even though the Owls were in it, I think they got away from the they ended up getting away from the uh, the run a little bit too early. And I think that it's very possible on that second to last drive for the Alouettes if they had thrown in a little bit of Stanbeck or uh, Jeremiah Johnson that it 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 may have not it, they that. It may have not set up that that int, mm-hmm. but no, definitely, definitely, and just again, if only to keep them guessing. Yes, it looked like for the most part the run defense was on point for the Eskimos, and they were able to corral guys like uh, Standback and Johnson. But at the same time, like these are big bruising guys that they can make the damage happen. Like even if you're only going to have to, you know, earn those those first and second downs. But man, I just. Yeah, and like I said, they they just they just had to figure it out. That's all it was. Yeah, and it also hurt too. We mentioned before, you know, last week that we had that feeling, you know, that uh, uh, Devere Posey wasn't going to play, but also Chris Matthews didn't play either. You know, I, I, it makes me wonder. I mean, yes, I mean, still, Dave, uh, Dante Absher, uh, if he he should make the squad next year for sure. Start be a starter. Also, I mean, but we'll get BJ back. It you know, it just. Maybe one more wide receiver would have made the difference. I don't know. Quan Bray, you know, he balled big time, man. And it's the same thing with Jake, uh, Jake Winnicky, uh, And, you know, it, it's funny. He's one of the – we have we really have two things to to be – to look forward to for Grey Cup is who – who is going to be the – name the, the uh, uh, most valuable Canadian who's going to be – who's going to be named the Rookie of the Year. Yeah, definitely. And once again, with – his performance down the stretch, I mean, how do you not consider Jake Winecki? I mean, he's just been absolutely phenomenal with the Alouettes this season. Exactly. And Hinak Mwamba, I mean, it's funny. Like, it's just it seems like the past few years, it's, all, it's been all about Andrew Harris as far as most outstanding Canadian. But uh, I, with Hinak going up against Cameron Judge uh, of the, the Riders, 
I really, really like Hinox's chances, and it'd be well overdue. I mean, this guy has been a, a staple of the league for the past few years. Uh, he's it's been a great addition here in Montreal. Uh, we we've gotten to hang out with him, and we know what a fantastic guy he is mm-hmm. off the field as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like, I, honestly, like he would definitely be an a fantastic choice for most outstanding Canadian, and I really hope that uh, the league, the rest of the league, feels the same way. Yes, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, for people who don't know the the thing for with Amari Alford, that it's hard to believe that that is only that's the third longest kickoff return in, in the playoffs, and the uh, longest since the was it the fifties? Yep, crazy. Oh yeah, crazy. Um, and again, just it just speaks to just another incredible find by the Alouettes. Like Mario Alfred, where was he? We had a few this year, man. We had a few. And it's funny because a lot of people were surprised that uh, Alfred got the nod over Shakir Ryan, who's yeah. who's back and healthy, and yeah. you know he's a, a great returner too. But I mean, Mario Alfred, I mean this ratio kid is thing, a man. ratio thing. Well, <laughs> this is true. We always got to remember this thing about the ratio. It can be frustrating at times. I know. No, but I mean, again, it was a, a very calculated gamble to put uh, Alfred in, and man, did it ever pay off! It, it yeah, it did pay off. We got to at least give props to to the defense itself too. I mean, there, the second half, excuse me, the second half was a lot better than the first half was. They're able to get some more two and outs and stuff like that. But I think I think I heard they their first really true two and out was only in the fourth, which is you know very frustrating in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, Gregory led the team in tackles with eight. Uh, uh, Bowman, Campbell uh, had six. So, but you know, it's you know the, the first half really is what killed them. A very surprising missed extra point by Boris Bede, who'd been almost money as of late. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a strange call for a two-point convert so early in the third quarter, which I kind of disagreed with. Um, you know, it's funny. You look at the scoring itself, how what the Alouettes lost by. Uh, oh, by the way, and, and by the way, props too to to, um, to to the kicking. For, you know, Sean White. I, I had my friend sitting next to me. He's like, "Why the hell did we let Sean White go?" You know, because <laughs> we had Boris Bidet. That's why. <laughs> uh, look what White's gone and done. Yeah, when it won a great cup in Edmonton. Uh, he's been a consistent kicker for years. Yeah, you take away for them. fifteen points, the Owls win. This is true. You know, so but uh, again, I, again, this that this that or the other. It, in the end, yes, the Owls lost. Unfortunately, the um, you know going uh, not going man to man kind of came back to bite them in the ass. And but they still made it. It still was a great game. They were still in it into the fourth. That's what we've come to come to come to expect uh, for this uh, for this team. And uh, um, hi, it's pretty pretty thing. This was game ninety one. Switch it around. It's uh, uh, comes out to the nineteen, so I'm making the stretch here. But you know, what can I say? <laughs> yeah. What can I say? No, it, no, it, it's yeah, it, it stings because we think about how well how this team has progressed, how they have come back from so many obstacles this year, just from start to finish, and just being able to put that give that first winning season in seven years to go and. Win out in Calgary to win that game in Moncton. Yeah, uh, the comeback I mean, like versus a, Winnipeg. Unbelievable comeback versus Winnipeg, uh, sweeping Calgary yeah, too. Sweeping Calgary, yeah, yeah. And just the fact that, uh, like I said, lots of things went Montreal's way this year, and it was phenomenal. And again, a couple had a couple more bounces gone Montreal's way as well. Like they'd be more than just ten and eight. But you know what? Like this is the year that they they finally turned a corner. 
they and no one gave them a chance. That's a, that's the beautiful thing is everybody completely expected this to be another dumpster fire season, another another lost year. And especially to you lose your head coach six days before this regular season starts. You fire your general manager after three, four games. I mean, this was a recipe for failure. And yet the Alouettes just they weren't having any of that. They just tuned everything out. Like and that's what they had to do. They had to tune out all the extracurricular noise. And that's exactly what they did. And look at the results. Ten and eight. I mean, that is all things considered, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You you saw Vernon Adams become a real superstar in this league. He's not just a quarterback. He is the quarterback. He's still not going to be at uh, the the level of Bode by Mitchell or Mike Riley just yet, but man, he is close. He is knocking on that door. And if he has, if he can put together another season like he did this year, notch a couple more wins, you know, get a few more passing yards, a couple more touchdowns. He'll be right there. He'll be right there with him. Yeah. And the best is yet to come. That's what's great is, now everybody is finally on board. Everybody's finally realizing what you and I have talked about for years. Like this is a guy that just needed a chance. He got that chance this year and he made the most of it. He he became that quarterback that Montreal has been looking for since AC retired. Mm-hmm. Like to finally say, like after all these years, after all the quarterbacks that have come through into the city and taken a snap under center, finally the Alouettes found their guy. Yeah. And yeah, you can make the argument that yeah, they had him in 2016 and 2017, and they just let him go because uh, of so many reasons. But <laughs> you know what? That's all in the past now. Like now, you you look towards the future, and I think Vernon too will, will say like he appreciates the opportunity now. He realizes what he's now and can work harder. It's going to make him a better quarterback. And I can tell you right now, like I, I, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do in 2020. Oh yeah, me too, me too. And uh, obviously, there's a lot more to come up too over the next couple of days, to, uh, especially uh, within probably within 12 hours since this podcast gets released, and it's something that we're going to talk about with John Liu also. Um, but we want to talk about the game itself, uh, the aftermath. Uh, but we also want to talk about the what we feel about the team did this year. And one thing I want to, to, to center on, Cliff, is, and it's funny, it, I don't remember if it's on, on, on during the pod or not, but it's one thing that I pointed out to you during the season, and it ended up, unfortunately, following the same pattern. Um, but, and this is what, I'm going to ask you the same question because I already put this on social media, but, you know, for 2019, if I were to... to have two words that could explain this Alouettes team this year. It was exciting and inconsistent. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't need to mention, when I say exciting, everybody knows what we're talking about. We literally just talked about it. But the inconsistency. Mm-hmm. And one thing that really stands out specifically are the last nine weeks of this year. And this is where I go back to my comment. I don't remember if we said this on the pod or not, if it was captured on the pod or if it was during our pre or post talk. But I pointed out to you that the Alouettes had been had basically been doing a one-off for I don't remember whatever week it was. The team ended up not having consecutive wins or losses for the last eight regular season weeks, eight regular season games, and the playoffs. And what's funny, Cliff, is and I think we were talking. It's like, oh, it won't end up that way. Sure enough, the pattern followed as it did: win loss, win loss, win loss, win loss. It ended on a loss, and that's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Because there was no consistency for the last basically nine weeks. There, there were great games, 
Maybe with one extra game, you have a little bit more uh, of momentum instead of winning. You know, instead of winning one in a row and then losing, you'd have two in a row, et cetera, you know, like they did early in the season. You know, this is something the Alouettes mm-hmm. have not done since I think it was the. Uh, I have to go back and check out my tweet. I think since the night was in the nineteen fifties, something like that. You know, I may have to go check out see what mm-hmm. it was. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and since uh, since since they had done it six in a row in nineteen sixty four. And the team record is 10 games where they've got, done this alternate, you know, without a consecutive wins or losses. So 10 straight in 1958. I just wish they had just one thing may have changed it. It, it, it was frustrating as a fan, especially just for the season to end like it did. Hmm. So what about what? About, yeah. For me, that's why I mean, that's where it comes to inconsistencies. What about you? If you were to give, no, I, if you were to give two words, I would have to say redemption and honor. Okay. Because this Alouette's team redeemed itself. They again with all the adversity they had off the field, and even just like this is start go go back to tw- January of 2019, where this Alouette's team team was, and that nobody, absolutely nobody, thought that they could do what they did this year. If you were to tell them, if you were to go back and and I would go so far as to say, ask us, hey, what do you think of the, you think of the Alouettes? Maybe they go 10 and 8 this year. Vernon Adams becomes a superstar quarterback and the team makes the playoffs for the first time in five years. Would we believe that? It, I, I know I'd be hard pressed to believe it. I, 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 I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. Yeah. But would I believe that could happen? I don't know. I just at that point, at that point in January 2019, I don't, I would have 100% been able to sign off on that. If you want to give that to me, sure, I'll take it. But I just, I couldn't go ahead and say, yes, I believe that's going to happen. And the way this team re- redeemed itself, no matter what what obstacle came about, and there's plenty of obstacles that came through in the offseason, a lot of stuff that would sink and has sunk this team in the past. And yet somehow you slogged through it. You you Everybody just kept saying, this, this locker room believes in itself. This locker room has something special to it. Just wait and see. Just wait and see. You're going to see something really incredible. That was the mantra throughout training camp. Is we've got a great room here. We got guys that want to be here, and it's going to be very exciting football. We were we were promised very exciting football in 2019, and the Alouettes delivered. They rede- they redeemed it. They they delivered on that promise. It wasn't always pretty, but man, it was exciting football. So and that's that's what I mean by redemption there. And when it comes to honor, guys that were overlooked, guys that were never really given a chance to shine, got the chance to shine. Yeah. Best case, Vernon Adams. Started this year fourth on the depth chart. Everybody and their mother expected Antonio Pipkin to be the man here in Montreal because he won two of Montreal's five games last season. Okay, fine. Yeah, he was a very exciting quarterback. He he did some good things and uh, made some uh, you know give the fans a little bit of hope. But when he came to training camp and things just didn't work out, and you could, we were begging, okay, let's see what Vernon can do. Let's see what Vernon can do. And he was still just you know doing scout team duties and he was still kind of mired in a quagmire and again his attitude never changed like he we, we saw him we talked to him and it was like i just gotta work harder i just gotta work harder i just gotta keep proving that i belong here and to him like he 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 wasn't expecting anything to be given to him he ended up having to take it and he did the most he could with it and he did more and if you ask him now he, he'd still say yeah, I did good, but I could have done this better. I could have done that better. Like he was, he still, he still knows he has more room to grow. He has to improve on a lot of things, and he's willing to do that. And to me, that's what honor is: is that knowing that you're not 
the man, but you, well, you are the man, but you still, you carry yourself with a humble dignity. Kahari Jones, exact same way. Like, he was thrust into the role of head coach six days before the season started. And most people would crack under that. Instead, he realized that this may be my only chance to be a head coach in this league. He took full advantage of it. And again, he didn't get a chance to choose his staff either. Like, yes, he did add one or two coaches uh, afterwards, but by and large, like this, he inherited this staff and he made it work. Like he got these guys on board. He got them to believe in what he was preaching and it translated to the players as well. They bought into what Coach Kahari was was preaching. They bought it hook, line, and sinker, and they believed it, and they made it work. Uh, guys that you you know you, you, you didn't know what to expect out of guys like Eugene Lewis, B.J. Cunningham, like they became superstars. Uh, unknowns like Quan Bray and Jake Winecki, they emerged to become I won't say household names, but they really became yeah, stars. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Absolutely, you're right. This defense. Absolutely phenomenal. You saw bits and pieces of it last year. Guys like Hinak Mwamba, Tommy Campbell, you knew what they brought to the table. Greg Reed last year was a complete unknown. Now he's an all-star in this league. He has proven that he belongs in the CFL and is going to be a, 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 a force of nature yeah. to be dealt with for the, for years to come if he so chooses, if, unless the NFL comes calling. But my God, like, you talk about the honor of this team. Like, they put on for this city. They put on for this league, and they put everybody on notice. Yeah. And guess what? How many times have we seen on, uh, like on Facebook, on Twitter, all the comments and everything, and people coming up and saying, you know what? It's fun to watch the Alouettes. It's, I'm so happy to see you guys doing great again. And it feels so good to have to, you know, people realizing, hey, this isn't a dumpster fire. This isn't uh, you know, a garbage team. Like This is a real group, and – they're they're onto something special here. Finally, everybody else got on board and realized just how special this Montreal Alouettes team is. And uh, again, I can't even begin to describe just how awesome that feels to 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 know that people care about this team again, that this this city embraced this team, got behind it, and really took ownership again. Like going to a game at Percival Molson Stadium is fun again. Being a, an Alouettes fan is fun again. Like there are so many things that people are waking up and realizing yet again that hey, this is a team I can get behind, I can support, and I won't be disappointed with you know investing my time and my money in this franchise. And I tell you what, folks, like there is no better feeling than that to know that your team that you support and you're a fan of to see what they have done to, to turn things around after being at such a low point and build themselves back up into an honorable team. A team that is exciting and fun to watch over and over again. I, I mean, there's there's really nothing like it, folks. There really is nothing like this. No, no, there's not. And 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 speaking about what's coming next, uh, we're able to speak with TSN's John Liu. He uh, he is actually on the sideline for quite a bit this year for for Alouette games and actually for for quite a few things for Montreal sports. Uh, we're able to talk with him and try to find out what he thought about the Alouettes this year, uh, what he thinks is coming up. Um, but you know what? Rather than me tell you what it is, let's let's speak with John Liu and hear what he has to say. So up next, John Liu. And joining us on the line tonight is a gentleman who has covered the Alouettes quite a bit this year. Uh, he's been really parked on the sideline during all TSN broadcasts. It's the gentleman who's trying to go after Matthew Shinetti's title as best-dressed TSN side, uh, uh, sideline host, Mr. John Liu. Hey, John, thanks for joining us. 
My pleasure, guys, but I think so. I have to correct you right off the bat there. Is that, no, I, I, I eclipse Matthew. Oh! He knows that. <laughs> Shots fired. There we go. <laughs> let's see. I, I remember, let's see, it has to be first, the what has to be the catch of the year in the CFL. When it when it came Vernon Vernon throwing the ball into the into the stands and then you catching the the throwback from the fans and what I think what stands out to me now most because I saw you I was basically sitting where you were standing when you were rocking the suit shorts man <laughs> that those were epic. Those were epic. Oh, well, thank you. Well, to be honest with you, though, Tim, they're, uh, they're, those are survival gear because we're required uh, to wear suits on the sidelines. Okay. And uh, Montreal and Toronto would be the two markets where you get, and, well, I guess Ottawa, too, um, would get the nastiest Humidex yeah. in the middle of the summer. And so uh, I just basically said, no, I, I can't melt every single game. Um, in the middle of the summer on the sidelines. And so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I went with the short suit this year, the real short suit this year. I had something that was kind of a variation of it from uh, two summers back when I was in uh, Vegas covering Cup Final. Oh but uh, this year, yeah, I rolled it out, and next year I'll add another one too because, hey, you know, with climate change, it's getting hotter and hotter in the summers, and so got to have the uh, survival gear. And, uh, hey, the shorts don't really show on, uh, on air unless the producer wants to, you know, have a little bit of fun like uh, Jeff McLeod did one of the games that wore it. And so, uh, yeah, the rest of the country gets to see it, not just the fans at Molson Stadium. Did you, uh, did you happen to get a screen capture of you catching that ball? And uh, uh, tell us when do the, uh, the trading cards come out? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that uh, the day that uh, CFL equipment guys and, uh, and trainers and stuff get cards, I will get one too. Oh, there we go. Um, but um, no, there was no screen capture because uh, um, the cameraman who was following the action there, he was focused on Vernon. And uh, so we didn't expect the ball to get thrown from the stands into um, out onto the field. Right. And I mean, clearly the fan who threw it was throwing it to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, cause he couldn't have overthrown Vernon that no, badly. No. I mean, from where you were sitting, right. Yeah. It was clear that I think he wanted to see it. It's like, Oh, can the guy in the suit catch it? And, uh, yeah. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah. One of those moments, uh, that's, uh, was just very lucky. Cause I, I'm a, I'm a Southpaw baseball is one of my sports. I'm a Southpaw. So right-handed catch. And so I always carry the mic in my left hand. And so my catching hand was free and it just happened to, uh, be uh, in the right spot for the one-hander. Yeah, and, and you're already one up on Shinetti. I mean, God, you know, you know, sideline reporters like him dropping passes. Come on, <laughs> he's making. TS- I don't know if Matthews attempted any more this since then. I think it was like almost. Uh, was it a special teams play that he uh, dropped it? It went off his. Uh, I guess it would have. If he was wearing gear, it would have gone off the front of his shoulder pad. Yeah. But uh, I don't think he's attempted a catch on the sideline since then. He may have retired. He may retire, John. I mean, he, possibly. He, he saw how what you did, and he was like. I don't know if I can beat that. I don't know if I can beat that. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad that well, that somebody else on this call actually witnessed it firsthand, Tim, because uh, <laughs> you know some people are skeptical on on social media to say that. Well, you don't actually see the guy catching the ball, so I mean, did it actually happen? Right? He but did. I think. We, I, think so. yeah. I just say watch Vernon's reaction. Yes, for exactly. Who are skeptical, exactly. Right? You know, even even if <laughs> even if the uh, the guys up in the uh, uh, up in the booth, missed it. We caught it, so we it, it happened. You know, they say if it, there's no pictures, no video. It didn't happen. It happened. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the fans were really good about it too. It's like, wow, they gave me really quite the cheer too. It was 
that was quite a surprise. Yeah. But hey, you know what? Montreal fans they like uh, they like moments. They like their moments, regardless of who's uh, involved in it. Exactly. Hey, now we know you you were uh, you you were involved with the Alouettes this year, and uh, obviously you saw what happened at the Eastern Final before the Eastern sorry the Eastern semifinal. Before the, the game uh, was played, John, what was your thoughts on on the Alouettes and playing, obviously for the first time in the playoffs since, uh, well, in five years, but what were your thoughts of them uh, going up against the, the Eskimos? Do you think that uh, they were uh, they were ready to play, or it was just a matter of um, what was Edmonton going to do that the Alouettes needed to stop? Uh, well, let's put it this way um i don't know if anybody myself included would have expected trevor harris to do what he did mm-hmm. on sunday like i mean that was one of the greatest quarterback and performances i've witnessed in my entire career my entire life like that was absolutely epic um uh, considering that he had been off as long as he had with his with the injury to his throwing arm for that matter too um but i think that the alouettes uh, we've seen them for a good portion of the season favor the three-man front um and put a little bit more on their secondary right but the thing is that by playing zone coverage i think for the most part uh, not the aggressive man-to-man i think that they made it a little bit easy on on trevor harris in that regard because he was went with the short throws underneath for the most part and let his receivers uh, do the yak yards um uh, but also, I mean, a three-man front is going to give a quarterback a lot more time to yeah. to operate. And a guy like Trevor Harris, who's, you know, I mean, he's got the ability to extend plays with his legs most certainly. But uh, I think in its truest form, he is a, an excellent uh, pocket passer. And so we saw that. Um, on another level Sunday, and so um, it's just unfortunate the Alouettes' defense wasn't able to make adjustments until halftime. If they'd have been able to make a couple more stops in the first half, we might have had a different outcome to that game because it was still a very close game, oh, yeah, even sure. though Trevor Paris was putting up monster numbers. Um, I just thought, my thoughts heading into the game, though, yeah. uh, were that I thought that there would have been practically zero margin for error uh from the Alouette's offensive standpoint, because without Devere Posey and then Chris Matthews mm-hmm. too, um, you know you're, you're taking two of your most experienced money receivers out of the mix, and so Vernon Adams would have had to have been spot on, like on point all game long. And uh, we saw what happened uh, of the three interceptions. He said that he felt like the two of them were on him. Well, the first two were on him, and then the uh, the third one, which really killed their chances at the conclusion of the game. He said that he just threw one up there for uh, for uh, Gino Lewis, but um, you know when we saw the end result. And so uh, again, that's uh, you have Trevor Harris, who has, I, if I'm not mistaken, after that game, a dozen playoff starts under his belt, a couple of Grey Cup appearances, yep. and. Uh, um, Vernon Adams in his first start as a CFL uh, quarterback. And so, yeah, there was a huge uh, difference in experience there. And uh, and that's not to say that Adams played a bad game, but, uh, you know, certainly there was uh, – uh, it showed. It, it yeah. certainly showed. But having said that, um, uh, he'll be better for the experience. And uh, he certainly wasn't, wasn't letting it get him down. Like, uh, um, it, it wasn't – um, you know, uh, 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 he wasn't despondent about yeah. it afterwards when we were speaking to him post game or the next day. You know, he's taking a very uh, pragmatic and positive approach to it that he'll be back and he'll be better for it. And uh, um, so um, it was, I would say, um, 
a res- well, it was re- a resurgent year for the Alouettes in every aspect of the organization. But really, when when you think about well, what were what were the principal reasons for it? Well, first of all, Kahari Jones, yes. and then secondly, Vernon Adams, because yep. uh, yeah, there was it was a perfect storm for them to have some success and to uh, put themselves back on the Montreal sports scene map and. Uh, restore some uh, some respectability mm-hmm. to the franchise once again i agree and also what you're, you're talking about was missing two receivers in essence i think people have also forgotten that the Owls had didn't have bj cunningham for most of the season either so there was a mm-hmm. there was a, a third wide receiver that, that they didn't have on the field on on sunday but uh yeah um what was uh what was your thought on you're talking about resurgence what was your thought on the alouettes being able to finally for the first time this year take off those tarps and to actually sell extra tickets and to get the 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 fans above uh 21,000 because after hearing it uh, after watching the replay on TV John it w- it sounded absolutely loud on TV yeah it was it was fantastic atmosphere but you know something uh uh, guys, honestly, that's uh, I haven't experienced buzz in a stadium like that, and I stand uh, by between the benches on the, the louder side of the field, mm-hmm. and I haven't experienced buzz uh, in that stadium since uh, the Mark Tressman, Anthony Calvillo days. Um, and hey, you know what? There really hasn't been much for fans to cheer about. No. But um, I just think back to. Um, I believe it was the Winnipeg game when they mounted that insane comeback yep. in the second half, yep. and it was an afternoon game. So it was the, the the game was winding down around seven o'clock Eastern, and I believe it was a TV uh, TV break. And I think the 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 PA had played Country Roads, Take Me Home, Country Roads, and the fans were singing along to it. And then immediately following that, unprompted, they turned the fans turned on the flashlights on their cameras are on their phones, um, and it was like a rock concert. And I looked around, and I was like, wow, I'd never seen that before in a sports venue, unprompted. You know, like, I mean, we've seen, you know, light shows with fiber optics as part of pregame shows at hockey games, but, yeah. uh, and you see it at rock concerts where fans will turn it on, like nobody carries cigarette lighters anymore. Um, and, uh, yeah, so for the fans at Molson Stadium to be doing that, um, it was it was really a sight to behold, and and that just again that speaks to just how much fun um, Montrealers have at events, whether it's a sporting event or concerts or shows, uh, what have you. It's like the uh, you know people here love to have a good time, and that was totally organic and spontaneous. And I'll never forget that because that was to me that was probably about the the surest sign that people cared, like genuinely cared about the Alouettes once again. And so credit to the fans, but credit to the Alouettes for being able to turn it around this season. Yeah, for sure. Cliff? Okay, let's go back to the start of the season, John. Uh, the Alouettes came into training camp. They had Mike Sherman as the head coach. Cavis Reed was general manager. Nobody gave this team a snowball's chance in hell of even being in the playoff conversation. As far as you're concerned, like, yes, all these things kind of fell into place and Montreal ended up where they did. Uh, when you look back, like, Back then, what were you thinking as far as how this season could go with the Montreal Alouettes and compared to how we're looking at things now? Well, before they fired Mike Sherman, um, I thought that they would have had a, a slim chance of making the playoffs. Um, when, when you talk about uh, uh, the competitions that they, the competition they would have been facing for that, uh, the two Ontario teams, right? Or sorry, two of the Ontario teams, uh, 
Toronto and Ottawa. Um, but having said that, uh, hey, you know what? The Argos and the Red Blacks really helped out the Alouettes too because both teams were an absolute hot mess. Um, and in Ottawa's case, I think it just shows, goes to show time and again, and you can point to Montreal as a good example, if you don't have a... Uh, a in the absence of an experienced and capable CFL quarterback, if you don't have somebody who has with, with the, who can put the talent together while learning on the job, you're not going to get anywhere. Ottawa was a very good example of that. Whereas Vernon Adams, um, and again, you know, you talk about well, we always, uh, I think most of us thought that Antonio Pipkin was going to be the guy to carry the mail uh, at the start of the season, simply because he got more reps um, when. Anybody not named Johnny Manziel last season had the ball. And uh, so when you consider Toronto and Ottawa both being bad, um, Vernon Adams taking over for Antonio Pipkin straight out of the gate uh, due to injury and really proving that his um, that he reached a level of, of maturity and um, uh, I guess age and experience, uh, well, still limited experience, but just experience around the league being a CFL player, um, that Vernon Adams was ready to grow into the role. Um, but even so, like those things all unfolded after the start of the season, and of course we all know what happened just before the season happened, or before the season started, with uh, Mike Sherman being dismissed and Kahari Jones taking over. And at that point, I thought too, it's like, oh wow, you know what? Um, the fact that Kahari was being elevated from uh, coordinator, offensive coordinator to um, uh, to head coach without experience in that role before. I thought this is going to be tough sledding for him, but um, I don't think any of us could have predicted that um, Kahari taking over the role um, would have put an impact, put his stamp on the team, and made an impact as quickly and as dramatically as he did because it you know they they turned it around they really started showing signs of progress after the two losses coming out of the gate uh, you know following uh, or from the start of the season after Kahari took over so really it was uh, it really was in many ways a magical season i say resurgent but magical too just because so many things came, fell into place that were um, unpredictable and uh, but worked so much in the Alouette's favor uh, that's uh, really it's I think people really they captured the imagination of the city, of the markets, and uh, you know, full marks to them because uh, honestly, it was for me, for many of the members of the media who cover this team on a regular basis, it was it was day and night, and it was a welcome change because holy cow, we've gone through some absolutely horrendous seasons in the last four or five years, um, and uh, like just the. The uh, revolving door at uh, coordinator or coaching positions, uh, the, te- the the team's inability to to find a, a genuine starter, somebody who could last in the starting quarterback position, and so yeah, it's uh, it turned around very dramatically this season, and uh, the future certainly looks bright for the Alouettes, provided they can keep the band together. Yeah, exactly. What what was your uh, what was your thought when you saw the the. Uh the, the reaction of the team post game, or Vernon, Vernon and Christian Matt on the sideline right before the end of the game. I mean, that that shows, uh, you know, a, a player who felt that it was uh, his fault that the Owls lost the game. Christian obviously was there to console him and tell him, "Listen, it's it's not just him." And basically, nobody gave the team a chance. What, what does that show you as far as uh, uh, the type of player that uh, Vernon Adam is? Well, it shows me that he is a genuine leader 
a genuine starter, a guy that's matured, that's um, that's accountable, that cares about his teammates, uh, obviously cares about the fan base and the markets. Um, uh, it, it's just the change that we've seen in Vernon Adams in less than a year has been so dramatic because I think back to last July, late July, when he was starting against Edmonton, ironically, or coincidentally, as we're talking about his last game this season, but the one that I'm referencing last summer when the fans were giving it to him, wanting Johnny Manziel mm-hmm. to come in that week that the trade took place, yeah. and Vernon reacting very emotionally and um, and um, uh, it, with hurt feelings um, at the way that the fans wanted him out and Manziel in, and... Um, you know, as we come to get learn or get to know Vernon better, it's like, yeah, you know what? That's him. He's he's an incredibly emotional guy, very excitable, very enthusiastic, very high energy. But um, you know, I think that he's learned to um, to 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 deal with adversity, to not let negative things that happen to him in games um, get to him or linger. And so we've seen a real dramatic uh, uh, path of growth from uh from from Adams uh, as a player as a person as well and you know it's been really fun to uh, to watch that as well because the only way to go is up with him because we've always known the talent was there but now that he's putting the intangibles together the elements of becoming a professional it's the sky's the limit for him he can be an absolute top flight starter in the CFL with another year or two experience under his belt Cliff. Okay. And uh, just continuing on with uh, the emotion in the locker room afterwards, uh, you also spoke with John Bowman and you said that he had sort of a tone of finality in his voice as again, the, we don't have to, we can talk for hours about the legendary career that is the head that John Bowman has, but do you really get the sense that he's, he thinks he's finished or do you still think he's got just a little bit more in the tank to come back to, ne- to the Alouettes for next year? Well, you know what, to be honest, Tim, I think he has plenty to be able to fulfill this final year of his current contract. Um, the way, I, probably, I don't know for certain, but I'd say that at least, including Sunday, this sun, this past Sunday, that's at least three years in the last five that, um, I recall, that, that I've seen John Bowman in the dressing room with tears in his eyes, um, where you know he's just so emotional at the conclusion of the season. But this year, it's like there were more tears, and the way he was talking about his 14-year career, he said that it's been a great ride. It just sounded like this was a guy that's, um, that um, felt like this was going to be his last year. And uh, his teammates, the people, Vernon Adams, when I spoke to him last week, I uh, said that, yeah, this John says that this is his last year. You know, they, <laughs> and so the guys on the team, they they wanted they wanted to win this as a group, but they wanted to win it for Bowman as well. And uh, so all the signs were pointing to him uh, retiring. But when we spoke to to John the next day, uh, that being uh, Monday morning, um, after a, a night's sleep and time to let the emotions. Um, calm down a little bit um he um he said that uh he was going to take a little vacation take his time before making a final decision but one thing that i found that was very interesting that he did say is that he wanted to find out first what was happening from the ownership standpoint and and, and more and more importantly the coaching standpoint because if kahari jones comes back then i really get the feeling that john bowman will come back 
And John, Jeremiah Johnson, the same thing. When I spoke to him, he said that, yeah, I'm ready to retire, that I'm ready, that this is it for me, unless Kahari comes back. Like, I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, two veterans, one certainly a lot farther along his career path than Bowman, that could very well call it a day and say that they, and, and be proud of the careers that they've had, but they're still thinking about coming back next season if Kahari Jones remains the head coach. And so to me, that was like just an absolutely, that, that was, uh, how much higher endorsement could you get for the head coach? than hearing that from two as veterans. Because it isn't just about, oh, you know, do they still have any game left? And I believe both of them do. We've seen it in the numbers and the performance this season. But it's more, are they prepared mentally, more than physically, mentally to go through the grind of training in the off-season, of preparing, going through the routine of preparing for training camp and taking all those steps in a long off-season at their age, um, are they mentally prepared to go through that grind? Because once they get into the, into the season itself, the playing part is fun. That's the part they love. But it's between now and uh, the beginning of June that is the part that's really the grind, the tough part for any veteran uh, to, to, to decide whether he's going to be doing it, whether he wants to go through it again. Because we've seen veterans retire in training camp, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but both guys, like, saying as fat emphatically as they did that they would be prepared to come back for another year at their age if Kahari Jones comes back that tells you just how much this the 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 the, the players in that locker room love Kahari Jones so uh and we in the media really enjoy him too so um and I'm sure the city really appreciates him so I mean this is a perfect fit and uh, you know we really uh, you know, we're very eager to see what the outcome will be um, because uh, Herb Zerkowski had reported that preliminary negotiations had, big, uh, had begun mm-hmm. uh, for uh, for Kahari to be extended, and we'll see where that goes. What's okay. your thought? What's your thought on on, on Coach Kahari's uh, uh, locker room presence, especially what we've seen with the, with the team is taped? You know, the, his his post game speeches, win or lose. You ever in your years as a TSN reporter, you ever seen something like that before? A guy that that emotional and yeah. genuine and real? Yeah. Um, no, no, I haven't. And to be honest, guys, it's like I've had the privilege of dealing with some absolute legends, uh, coaching legends uh, in in many sports, in all the major sports, over the years that I've been with TSN, approaching almost two decades now. But to be honest with you, in the one season that I've spent covering Kahari Jones, I can honestly say that he's been the best. He's been the most enjoyable coach to deal with simply because he is such an engaging and eloquent and genuine individual. He teaches. Like when we talk about football, he teaches. He's, uh, he's very patient. He's very positive. He's just uh, he's a real joy to be around. And uh, clearly the, the players feel that way about him. Um, uh, the conversations that I have with him when we're not talking football is about, about theater and, um, you know, world issues and things like that. He's just, uh, I, I just wish that people, you know, fans, um, you know, followers of the team would have an opportunity to get to know Kahari Jones beyond the, 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 the football coach because he really is uh, a special individual. And when you see those, uh, those video clips of him in the locker room afterwards giving his post-game speech to the players, um, that's, that's, all, that's all genuine. Um, that's all authentic. And uh, when I saw the, um, the clip that the Alouettes posted on their Twitter account of 
following this final game, it's like, well, you know what? That would explain the scene that we in the media witnessed in the dressing room postgame. I've never seen so many guys in the dressing room after their season was over crying, like outright crying and hugging each other. Um, it's like this team really – Everybody that you speak to on that team will say that this was a special group yeah. with a large part of it due to Kari's influence, and it's true. And so, um, yeah, when you have uh, cohesion on a team like that, they can, they can accomplish some pretty special things, and we saw it through the regular season with the comeback wins, the un, unlikely comeback wins in Calgary and then at home to Winnipeg, and just their... Um, their tendency to, uh, or their basically their identity is that they they never believed that they were out of a game, and uh, that was part of the uh, the mentality that uh, Kari Jones instilled in them. Um, that's uh, Vernon Adams mentioned to me on their on their locker cleanout day that enthusiasm, positivity, and a fighting spirit those were the three qualities that were emblematic of Kari Jones, and that's what he imprinted on his team, and we saw the results. Yeah, Cliff. Well, I mean, just based on all that, I mean, like, how do you not keep Kahari Jones as head coach of the Montreal Alouettes? But that does bring us to a very interesting, I guess, uh, situation. Let's say the Alouettes decide, yes, absolutely, we need to keep Kahari on. We're going to sign him to a long-term deal and all that jazz. But then what does that mean for ownership, a new ownership coming in? And they want to instill their own people. Like, how does like, and also to a general manager, like a typically general manager has to, is usually the one who hires the head coach. Does that really affect like all these? There's all these uh, potential moving pieces in place. Like, how do how do how do you navigate through all that? Yeah, well, absolutely, Cliff, and, and believe me, we've we we've been debating that a lot. My colleagues and I have been debating that a lot in the last the last few weeks, um, simply because the league has been so tight-lipped with respect to the ownership situation, who the major players have been, who's close, who may be out, like. You know, in terms of the the actual um, the the true uh, the veracity of all the uh, the information that has that has been reported, but if we are to believe truthfully that the Lenkov brothers are uh, are poised to become the new owners um, of uh, of the Alouettes along with Claridge, as Herb Zukowski reported as well, and you know, Herb, when has Herb ever been wrong? Honestly, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. It, it, we we're wondering what is what is the delay if this is if this deal is done or if it's pretty much close to done well what are they waiting for well because the team is technically owned by the league or the league is the steward for the Montreal Alouettes they certainly control the process in terms of like i just believe that the ownership situation the owners the new owners will not be announced until the great cup is complete so, you know we're only days away from the uh, east and west finals and then we head into the Grey Cup uh, lead-up. And so I just don't believe that the league would allow an announcement to take place because they would not want that to hijack their signature event uh, by any means. And so I think that's hopefully, shortly after the Grey Cup is, is completed, we will see that the ownership uh, situation come to its conclusion. But, um, and you know what, this is me speaking from um, a speculative standpoint, that this is not based in any information that I have acquired. But to me, if you're the un- incoming owners and you've been watching this team as closely as you have, because clearly they've been very protracted in negotiations going on through the entire season, then you've witnessed what Kahari Jones has accomplished for with this team. 
And if you're paying attention, you see and hear and read everything that his players are saying about him. And the Lankov brothers, one's a lawyer, one is a very successful TV magnate. These are businesses where you're very much in the people business. So how intuitively could you believe that Kahari Jones would not be the right fit for this team mm-hmm. as its leader? You know what I mean? Yeah. That there's just, I, I don't care who you might think is your coaching candidate that you might want to bring in. I think that the GM would be a more, um, uh, a legitimate um, uh, question to ask. Who would they bring? Who would they want to bring in as GM? But from a coaching standpoint, it's like, well, you saw this team go from the toilet to the penthouse in one season. And so the guy that's largely responsible for it, the league is authorized, as reportedly is authorized, negotiations to start. And so, uh, yeah, as incoming owners, you got to figure like this decision. And if the and they may have they may have had the incoming owners, prospective owners, may have had some say, uh, some inputs on on the decision as well. We don't know that, and that will be part of the questioning when they're finally um, announced as as the official owners, right? But um, yeah, um, as far as the timing of it and the stages of the uh, of the negotiations are concerned, on Monday the Alouettes sent out the uh, their their release to announce when uh, or P- uh, Patrick Boivin and Kahari Jones would be speaking to the media, which is one o'clock Eastern Thursday afternoon. Right. But what some of us noticed in the release was that they the wording said head coach Kahari Jones, not interim head coach, and so. I reached out to one of the Alouette's uh, officials and said that, you know, not interim? Is this a tell? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And I haven't heard back from that official. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, Cone, take that what it's worth. Uh, maybe Thursday afternoon's press conference is an announcement. It could very well be. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, we, we certainly believe that... Uh, when, it, when this process reaches its logical end and conclusion, um, to, to me, there's, if Kahari Jones wants to stay, and we're saying all this, that, yeah, he should stay, they've got to keep him, but does he want to stay? If Kahari Jones wants to stay, then it really should be a foregone conclusion, regardless of what um, opportunities are out there. And there's a connection to B.C., especially with that, that vacancy sitting there. Um, and uh, who knows what might happen with Winnipeg if the Bombers don't keep Mike O'Shea, uh, because Jones obviously has a very uh, deep connection to Winnipeg as well. Mm-hmm. But um, but honestly, I think that he... I go back to the the, the video that you were referencing, Tim, yeah. the post-game video where he's... One of the last things he said to, the, to his players, and he said it with so much emotion and so much authenticity, that uh, was that I'm proud to be your coach. Or no, it's an honor to be your coach. Um, like, somebody that says that, it's like, how could how could you not want to remain a part of what he started here, Yeah. right? Yeah. All the signs point to Kahari Jones coming back, but, uh, yeah, we just have to wait for it to become official, and, uh, and well, everybody's eagerly awaiting, so hopefully that, uh, that will come, that decision or announcement will come sooner rather than later. Exactly, and I actually agree with you, too, on the, on the new ownership. I, I think the league probably put an unofficial official embargo until after the Grey Cup, because I I agree. You don't want to step on any toes for any for the for the official Grey Cup party, and you don't want to step on any toes for the new uh, ownership group coming into Montreal. Also, y- you've covered the Alouettes for for such a long time. Um, one thing I noticed when I heard what time that the press conference is going to be held at. Usually, if it was a year, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but usually if it's just a year end 
this is what happened. We this is what we're shooting for for twenty to, you know for twenty twenty. It would usually be at eleven o'clock. If I'm not mistaken, the Owls have done that before in the past, where it's been an early, uh, late morning rather than a one o'clock slot in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think two things to that. First of all, why are they going three days after the players did their locker cleanout? You know. Uh, that's a rhetorical question. Yeah. I'm going to answer it myself yeah. because then again, it could boil down to the fact that they were, that they are or were still in negotiations with Kahari, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. Again, this is just speculation. Yeah. Yeah. But when Jim Pop was the GM and the Owls did their locker cleanout day, it was always players first. Then we would go across the hall into the multi-purpose room and would do the press conference with Jim Pop and whoever the head coach was at that time. It was always done on the same day. Everything was done, you know, in one nice, clean, tidy parcel. But in this case here, we're waiting three days for Patrick Boivin and Kahari Jones to speak. So what's the delay all about, Mm -hmm. right? And secondly, the time, I'm not really sure what the timing is all about, 1 o'clock p.m., but what 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 might be part of the motivation is that the Canadians practice at 10.45 on Thursday morning. Okay. And it's a getaway day for them. They're heading to Philadelphia that afternoon. So I think the Alouettes maybe want to clear the stage so that there's no other media focus or that, the, the, you know, that they aren't overlapping with the daily coverage of the Montreal Canadiens, which even though it's just, you know, <laughs> game number 19 in their season, it's still going to dominate the airwaves and... You know the 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 conversation yeah. um, on on the sports landscape. So by bumping it till when the Canadians have done their work for the day, then that gives them the opportunity to have the stage to themselves. So that might be part of the motivation because their locker cleanout was at eleven o'clock on Monday. They easily could have done this press conference on Thursday at eleven a.m. But then that's at the same time as the Alouette or as, as the Canadians. So maybe by making it one o'clock, they draw a little bit more media, um, and uh, you know they certainly uh, will have the focus on themselves. Again, that's just speculation, yeah. but I'm just thinking. I'm thinking like a PR person now. You know, yeah. <laughs> if I was going to, you know, um, if I was going to, to to make the arrangements for it. So um, yeah, but we'll see. But the other thing too is that you know what, Kahari's family are out west. So instead of making the announcement or the press conference at 11 a.m., which is eight o'clock. Western time right. or Pacific time uh, by making it one o'clock. It's ten p.m. or ten a.m. So it's uh, you know the the West Coast is everybody's up and you know not getting out of bed that sort of thing. Right. So, you know, right. Yeah. So there's a variety of reasons, yeah, none uh, of which are clear at this point. But that's just my that's what I believe is maybe at play here. Or unless they're trying to fly them in again, speculation. That's a possibility too. Yeah, yeah. That's always a possibility. Yeah. So. Yeah, if they're coming from the West Coast, got to be on that flight really early. And then, uh, yeah, uh, not sure what time the first flight would land in Montreal from Vancouver. But, uh, yeah, that's that's a very good point, too, Tim. We, that may be part of the equation as well. Yeah. But we'll find out tomorrow. Exactly, exactly. Cliff. All right, all right. Uh, John, let's look ahead to 2020. I know we, again, we, there's, as, you, as we already just talked about, there's so much stuff that's up in the air that it's really hard to speculate too far ahead in the future. Uh, we know Vernon Adams will be back, regardless of the ownership, uh, head coach situation. Uh, there's already a few players that are under contract, but most importantly, what do you think Alouette's fans can really look forward to in 2020 as far as where this team is going? 
I believe they can look forward to um, the next step. Um, that um, when you have um, a rookie head coach and a quarterback who is taking the starter reins for the first time, um, there's going to be uh, inevitable growing pains and uh, um, baby steps within the process. And we saw that early on. But having said that, both Adams and Jones really accelerated their growth um, in their respective roles quite rapidly um, this season. And you saw the team buy in and the team latch on and come together and really um, start really play for Vernon Adams as well. Um, they really... Um, players on really on both sides of the ball um, because again Vernon Adams is very similar to Kahari in the respect that he's very high energy very enthusiastic very chatty um, the type of guy that really loves being around his teammates and uh, so I think that what they built what they started this year the guys that we spoke to all of them they really said that they they can't wait to get back at it next season and so what they started building what they hatched this year is going to grow uh, next season um, and regardless of what changes they make at personnel outside of the key, um, the key positions, is that you have a very – we saw, you know what, in all the conversations we're having about this season, uh, Kavis Reed is not getting a lot of props. And regardless of how his tenure as GM of the Alouettes ended, he put the, the, the bulk of these components in place. And so he really does deserve a great deal of credit for – what the Owls were able to accomplish this year because he, base, he he assembled the core, right? And so a big portion of that's going to remain intact for next season with the benefit of, of a season together, a season of experience, and uh, building a culture, more important, more importantly, building a culture that was not there before. And uh, so I think that what Owls fans can look forward to is more of the same next season, except a team that... Um, the ultimate goal would be to be more consistent, that they wouldn't be playing in chase mode at the half as often as they were this season, although it made for thrilling football in a lot of games. Um, you know, they'd, they'd rather be going, they'd rather be taking the lead and holding on to the lead, no question. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, when you see more consistency out of a more mature, more cohesive group, um, that would be the next step from what's, uh, what they would take from what they started this season, and I believe that's what Alice fans have to look forward to, another uh, an entertaining team that is able to uh, be a little bit more consistent next year. That's what I believe they'll see. That's and Really, what more could you ask for from your football team is to be entertained and see some great football at the same time. I mean, you, you simply can't ask for more than that. Well, for sure, and you saw the fans come back. You know, it's a, The winning is a bonus. Um, winning is always the ultimate goal, but the fact is, is that this was an this was an entertaining Alouettes team. You know, uh, Kahari Jones let his creativity shine on offense. That they they threw a little bit of deception, some gadgets into the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing that really impressed me is how effectively Vernon Adams was able to use the middle of the field, like his short, really crisp passes, short uh, short gainers in the middle. It's like that was you know that that was an offense that played with a lot of confidence and played assertively. And uh, so, yeah, fans are going to enjoy that. They're going to love that. And, and Vernon put it really well at the end of the season. He said that nothing brings fans in like a winner, right? Yeah. And this team has the components and the uh, the belief um, that it can be a winner. And so, um, 
it's uh, yeah, they're heading in the right direction, and I I certainly believe that uh, you know all things being equal, if we're to project from from uh, into next season, um, barring significant changes in the East in the off season, I believe that the Alouettes can challenge the Tiger Cats for top spot in the East next season. That would be nice. It would be nice. Uh, we've had such a a great time chatting with you, John. I mean, it's you you show that you do know the sport quite well. We. Uh, you, I'm, I'm guessing you will be covering the uh, the presser tomorrow. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah football. I would say <laughs> I said on Monday. Well, my football season ends on Monday, but it's like then no, nope, it's going to end on Thursday. But then no, it's not going to because there'll be an ownership announcement. Yeah. Hopefully, sometime in the next couple of weeks too. So we'll have. Uh, they'll still be, the Alouettes will still be part of the conversation certainly exactly. for the next uh, the next little while. And uh, but I mean, these are all uh, positive steps for them. You know, we're not talking about the coach or the GM getting fired. We're not talking about you know some of the drama that we've witnessed in in seasons and off seasons mm-hmm. past. So that's yep. uh, yeah, all these steps, all these uh, moments and milestones that they're uh, that they're experiencing are for the betterment of the team for their uh, their journey back to respectability and for um, uh, restoring their stature in the um, in the Montreal sports scene once again. For sure. Hey, John, we really appreciate your time uh, to have you on and to talk about the Owls. And um, obviously, uh, good luck to, to, for the Owls and everything for whatever's going to come up next. And, and good luck to you, too. We love, we love watching you on TV. And uh, we can't see you, uh, how you try to uh, stay ahead of Vishnetti for 2020. <laughs> Guys, I don't have to try that. <laughs> well, that's fair. All, all you just need now is uh, Vernon Adams to start busting your chops the way Mike Riley does for Shinetti and uh, oh, yeah. your gold. <laughs> We're starting. He and I are starting to build that kind of relationship. But I don't know if we could ever reach the level of hilarity that uh, that Matthew and uh, and Mike go at each other. It's it, that to me is just that's one of the funniest parts of uh, of the CFL. Period, but uh, yeah, Matthew and I were uh, we're we're good buddies, and so we we bust each other all the time. This it. is all said with uh, <laughs> with uh, a lot of love and a lot of respect for each other as professionals. I love it. Uh, besides watching you on TV, uh, how can people follow you on social media? John Lou TSN MTL on Twitter, and uh, uh, my my I'm not as active on Instagram, but it's Johnny Lou One. Um, actually, you'll see more pictures of my dog and my wife and my dog <laughs> on my Instagram account than you will uh, sports-related stuff. So, yeah, from a so- social media standpoint, work-related, yeah, t- uh, Twitter, John John Lutius and MTL. Fantastic. Okay, John, greatly appreciate it. We, it's, it's our first time having you on the pod, and uh, for sure we're going to we're gonna make sure that we, uh, we uh, keep in contact with you and have you on the pod uh, for quite a few times, I hope, in, in 2020. So we greatly appreciate your time. Oh, well, th- thanks for having me on, guys. It was a lot of fun, and uh, there'll be a, a lot more conversations in uh, the months to come about the Alouettes. Thanks again for John Liu for joining us on the pod this week. Uh, a lot of insight. I love talking to the to the guys who are basically in the trenches. They're like Joey Alfieri also, because they're there on the sideline. They get to see a little bit more than we would unless we're, you know, we uh, for those games where we've upgraded our seats or whatnot, and we're literally like, you know, four rows from the from the benches or whatnot. He gets to see a lot of stuff that we don't get to see or we only get to see on television. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, once again, John, he he came in. He killed it. That's all we could ask for from a guest here on the flight deck. Uh, definitely appreciate his insight. Uh, looking forward to having more chats with him as 
as the offseason goes by and mm-hmm. as we prepare for 2020. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, once again, thank you so much, John, for coming and joining us. And as always, you're welcome back anytime you want here on the Flight Deck. Exactly. So as we had mentioned before, there's the, the pre- whenever you're listening to this, there's a press conference at 1 p.m. on Thursday. Um, it's going to be with uh, with uh, Kahari Jones and with Patrick Boivin. Um we again, like we all talked about in the in the interview itself, because we're all having our speculation on what it's about. Um, it would be nice to start. You know what? It, 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 we could essentially say if Kahari gets hired here as a full time head coach, this could be the start of our 2020 season. It will start tomorrow, which would be very very cool. Um, mm-hmm. Because you know that's Kahari seems to be the piece that a lot of these players uh, were mentioning on if they will return or not. Because we've already heard about, you know, you know Jeremiah Johnson. Uh, you know, John Lou told me, told us something that I, I hadn't known of, that, you know, Kahari was a factor. Uh, you know, William Stanbeck. You know, it would be great to have that, you know, the, the best one-two punch in the league again in 2020. Uh, John Bowman. Uh, I'm sure there are others. Uh, you know, they just want to have some stability. And, and from what we're seeing with, with Coach Coach Akari taking off that interim tag, man, that's the next step. And then from there, as I said, uh, new ownership, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I guess, yeah, I said, everything starts. To, we'll see what happens uh, starting tomorrow at 1 p.m. Mm-hmm. And to think about it, it's it, it, it's incredible just to think that one guy can make such a difference. But Kahari Jones has done that for these Alouettes. These guys believe in it. Every time we, we go and we talk to these players, whether it's here on the podcast or after the games, the one thing that s- seems to ring true more than anything else is just how Kahari has brought everybody together. And to me, it, it seems like a no-brainer. Like, you, of course you got to keep Kahari Jones as the head coach of this yeah. team. Uh, it, what, what does come into play, though, is the fact that, yes, this Alouettes team will have new ownership soon and it may be announced during Grey cup week it may they may wait till the Grey cup's handed out before they make this official announcement as to who the new ownership group of the alouettes is and it's kind of weird because the way everything it almost feels like you're going backwards or or you sort of putting the cart before the horse because yeah you got to keep kahari jones on board but typically though a general manager hires the coach and now you're going to be in a situation where you've already hired your coach and essentially, you're going to ask your general manager, hey, you're going to have to work with this guy. So it, it, it kind of undercuts the general manager a little bit. And then the ownership group coming in, uh, yeah, they may be on board with Kahari as well, but maybe the new general manager may not be. Or does that affect how you how, how and who you hire as the general manager? Because right. on the surface, like, yeah, of course you'd want to have a Kahari Jones. Just with that body of work that he did in 2019 – of course, I'd want to hire Kahari Jones as my head coach. What? Who wouldn't? Are you crazy? But again, it, it just seems like a kind of a different way of going about things. Because ideally, you should have ownership in place. They hire the administration, like your president, your general manager, all your administrative staff. Get those people in place. Then the football operations general managers typically will take care of that. Like they're the ones that would hire a head coach who would put together their own coaching staff. Let's not forget Kahari Jones inherited this coaching staff from Mike Sherman. And aside from adding one or two uh, assistants here and there, it's been pretty much the same. And it worked. I mean, it definitely worked. So, I mean, maybe these were the right hires to make all along. But now it comes down to, are other teams going to be interested in these coaches? Or are these other coaches, going to, based on what they've done this year, going to parlay that into other gigs elsewhere? Mm-hmm. And then you have to rebuild that, re, the, rebuild the coaching staff again. 
I mean, is everybody going to stay on board? Or is is really truly is is Kahari Jones the common denominator through it all? And I guess that's what we're going to find out tomorrow. If that's what the if, if the case is that they're going to be hiring Kahari Jones as head coach, I guess we're just going to find out. I guess the butterfly effect as to just how 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 big this gets as far as uh, how it affects Montreal Alouettes for 2020. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, e- even though the the season has ended, it's not the end for us here at the flight deck. Uh, we do have a couple of ideas that we want to uh, that we want to do during the off season. I mean, if you go back and you check the past four seasons, dude, it's gonna be year five next year. Are we are we making up a logo? <laughs> I guess we should, eh? <laughs> um, but uh, go back and check the past four years. Yeah, you'll you'll see that we have we've done stuff during the off season. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily end when the Alouettes get get eliminated? So. Uh, from from playoff or from Grey Cup contention, so uh, and that's the thing. Like, we, we, this is the first year of doing this podcast where we've had to talk about being in the playoffs, yeah. even though it's only one game that we get to talk about. Still, the fact that we've had we finally had the opportunity to do that—that's amazing. It's still a record year, too, man. Jeez, thirty-one episodes. You're gonna kill me. <laughs> uh, what can I say? We we got lots to talk about. We've got lots of players that want to come on and talk with us as well. We've got other people that are interested that, you know, have things to share when it comes to talking about this Montreal Ellis football team. Mm-hmm. There is definitely a lot going on here. There's a lot of moving parts here still, folks. And uh, the only thing I'd say is, you know, we can't crank out an episode every week still because, I mean, there's only so much football we can talk about really, truly. But uh, we still want to entertain you guys. We still want to know that people are out there. We still want to get the word out about this Alouettes team. And you said it yourself, Tim. I mean, tomorrow, this could definitely be the start of the 2020 season, depending yeah. on if that's good, if, if it really does come down to it being announced that Kari Jones is now the full-time head coach of the Salowitz team. Right. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. If that happens, the new season starts tomorrow, essentially. Yes, exactly. exactly. And I'm excited. And I'm excited. To see, if that's the case, then I am excited to see what's next, because we got to talk about new ownership. We got to talk about a general manager. We got to talk about so many things. Like, there's still a lot of things to discuss, and the year is not even over yet. I mean, we still haven't handed out the Great Cup yet, and there's still more stuff to talk about. So, folks, don't go anywhere because we're not. So, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, let us know uh, if there are any ideas that you want us to hear during the off season or for the Cup coming uh, 2020, uh, 20 in 2020 rather. Um, uh, you, you can you can add us on on. Twitter, uh, Cliffy is at, at Cliffy D. I'm at Repact, R-E-P-P-A-C-T. Also, if you want to check out uh, our uh, our Instagram, our, our Twitter, 30 shows and I still suck. Um, <laughs> uh, you can still check us out on Twitter at uh, Alouette's FL Deck. Um, also, if you want to check out the entire archive, you can do so by going over to www.alouette'sflightdeck.ca or head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher or Spotify. Um, so I know Cliff, you are going to the Grey Cup. Are you going to be there to, to see, possibly see if we get uh, not one but two postseason awards for the Alouettes? That's the plan. That's uh, that's my hope. Is that uh, uh, like I said, I'm going to be there. Uh, Henock's going to be there. Jake's going to be there for sure because they're not they're the Eastern nominees. And uh, I sincerely hope that I'll get to report live from Calgary that uh, these gentlemen have won their respective awards. And if that's the case, then, yeah, we definitely want to talk to them about it and uh, share it with all you great listeners. And uh, anything else that's going on uh, as far as Grey Cup weeks goes, uh, I mean, if it, like I said, maybe 
Great Cup week is when they decide to announce the new owners of the Alouettes. And if that's the case, if I'm there for it, then I definitely want to report on it and let you all know about it as well and get immediate reaction and thoughts to it. So, uh, Tim, just be ready. We may have to do an emergency podcast hey, uh, live from Calgary. I don't care. And by the way, if you are heading over to Grey Cup, um, do not forget. Well, if you didn't know, uh, for the second year in a row, the uh, the other the family podcasts uh, in- included in the, uh, the the Canadian Football Podcast Network are going to be doing uh, are doing our um, trading cards again this year. So uh, if you do see Cliff, ask for a pack. And see if you can get all the other podcasts with, within the network itself, including a certain podcast here in Montreal. I think uh, we got our three cards again in there also this year. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, we're all going to be handing out cards. Uh, like I said, Tim, unfortunately, won't be in Calgary as well. So I'll, I'll hand out his packs as well. If you if you see me flagging me down, I'll, I'll be easy to spot because I'll have my Cliffy D jersey on and say, hey, can I get one of those uh, trading card packs? I got you, folks. I got you. As long as I've got them on me. I'll be more than happy to hand them out. And if I if I run out, we've got tons of other podcasters that are going to be at Grey Cup as well. They'll hook you up. I mean, collect all collect all the cards. They're awesome. Uh, great uh, great detail being put into them, and uh, just makes just adds to the Grey Cup experience as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. And and also, was it the traveling glens? Is that what it is, or the wandering glens? I, I believe it's the uh, the wandering glens. Is, I have to go back and check, but. Uh, uh, as you know about Kevin Glenn, every team in the CFL, uh, we've they've they come up with a very unique idea. Look out for them too, because I know they'll have some some packs that you that you don't happen to meet up with Cliff, but uh, uh, they'll have some packs too. So uh, yeah, make sure you check it. Like no doubt, I'm sure we're going to set some things up and we'll let people know where it's going to be a part of. But uh, yeah, the traveling Glens, you definitely have to uh, you have to check that out. Exactly, exactly. Well, we will see you during the offseason and that's a promise uh, we want to talk about more about the Alouettes and what and what is going to lead up to what we hope is a very exciting 2020 season so for everybody here at the Alouettes Flight Deck for Cliffy D I'm Tim Capper. Run Final Approach Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.